you know what? It's really fun to be here. They gotta bring a flag home for me, man. Yes, sir. Perfect for the lead of three. Man, I'm so, I'm so hyped right now. Anything's possible. Anything's possible! Backs it out against Turner. Here's the rerun. Shoots it again, and the same result. Gordon Hayward says, yes, this is my building. What's up, what's up, what's up, what's up? How are we doing? How are we doing? And welcome to episode number 42. Shout out to Al Horford of the Banner Banter Podcast. I'm your host and favorite Boston Celtics season ticket holder, Timmy G. You can find me on the Twitter machine at Banner Banter 18 or on Facebook and Instagram at Banner Banter Podcast. Listen, am I pissed? Absolutely. Am I thrilled? Absolutely not. Am I very content with the fact that the Celtics split the first two games of the series with the number one seed in the Eastern Conference, you're goddamn right I am. So I'm going to try and be as positive as possible after that disgustingly awful performance by the Boston Celtics. But let's just kind of break down the game right away. So all series long in episode 39, I gave you what I thought would be, or I'm sorry, episode 40, my five keys to the series. The Celtics went five for five in them in game one. So how do they do with them in game two? Well, let's break it down. First off, free throw attempts. The Celtics took 27 free throws, and they shot 88.9%. So let's just round that up to 89% to make it look sexy, okay? Listen, they took eight in 48 minutes in game one, and then they took 12, I'm sorry, 10 in the first 12 minutes of the game. How does that work? That's like the most Boston Celtics thing I've ever heard. You take 8 in 48 minutes and then 10 in 12. Unbelievable. The Celtics ended up 27 free throws, 24 of 27. The Bucks 25 of 31. And going into the game, a lot of butthurt Celtics fans were like, oh, Tony Brothers is going to ref. And yes, I understand the Celtics are like 1 in 8 on the road whenever Tony Brothers referees a game for them. I get that. Or like 0 and 5, 0-14 overall. I don't know. Some bullshit stat like that. But guess what? The Celtics had 23 fouls, and the Bucks had 24, and the Bucks were the home team. So everyone could take your whole referee thing and shove it. And for those people that don't know, the NBA does not pick these referees on purpose. They pick the first four games. Who's going to be the referee for the first four games before the season even starts? So the NBA didn't do this on purpose. Yes, the Bucks took four more free throws. So what are you going to complain about now? You Like, just shut up. I'm so sick of it. But here's what's crazy. The Celtics did take 27 free throws, which was great. Jalen Brown took, I think, seven of them. He went six or seven from the field. Kyrie Irving took zero. Kyrie Irving has not taken a free throw shot in this entire series. And he's probably played about, let's just say, anywhere between 55 to 60 minutes. And he has not taken one single friggin' free throw shot. It's a joke. Now, I you may think, an all-star like Kyrie probably goes to the line eight or nine times a game. It's not true. It's really only like four, four and a half for his entire career. He doesn't really go to the free throw line that much, which is sad because he's a really good free throw shooter, but he just doesn't go to the line that much. And yes, Giannis, Antet- 
Giannis or Giannis or the Greek freak, whatever. Mr. Antetokounmpo took 18 free throws tonight. I predicted 15 in episode 41. So he literally took 18 out of the 31 bucks free throw shots. Bound to happen. I'm content with that. That's what's going to happen. And I think he only hit 13 of them, so he missed five of them. So you, you take that any day of the week. Rebounding. Rebounding. Rebounding, rebounding, rebounding. It, it wasn't ideal. The Celtics lost by 9, 54 to 45. I mean, the Bucks missed 50 shots. The Celtics missed 52 shots. So I don't expect the Celtics to win the rebound battle every single game of the series like they did in game one. I just want them to keep it close. And losing by 9 isn't keeping it close. If, if it was like 54 to 52, I'm content with that. Seriously. So let's just say they're 1 for 2 so far out of the five keys of the game. Turnovers. The Bucks had 11. The Celtics had 13. So the Bucks turnovers went up, which is good, but the Celtics turnovers went up as well. And the Celtics only had 19 assists. So that's not even, that's like a, I can't, I can't even do math right now in my head. I'm just so aggravated. That's basically like a one and a half to one assist to turnover ratio. I mean, that's terrible. And that can't happen. You know, the Bucks had, what? how many 22 assists to the 11 turnovers that they have but with that being said the Celtics did score more points with the turnovers that they created from the Bucks so that's a good thing you you take that any day of the week now the other thing that the Celtics did win in this because the Celtics might not have won the free throw shooting thing but I'm going to give that to them because the fact that they shot 19 free throws more and you think that they would win a basketball game because of that didn't happen but whatever Points in the paint. The Celtics won the points in the paint battle 36 to 34. So that's great. You gotta love it. It's just the only problem is the Bucks hit a franchise 23 pointers in the game. And I'm gonna break that down a little bit. And then finally, pace. We talked about pace. The Bucks during the regular season averaged a 103 pace. And then in this game, game two, they averaged a 103.5 for pace. So game one, they're only at a hundred which is good, which means the Celtics slowed them down. And then this game, they played their game and was actually played at a bigger and better pace than they do during the regular season. That's why they won this game by 21. So out of those five keys to the series that I'm going to be talking about until this series is over, Celtics went 2 of 5. They went 5 of 5 in game 1 and then 2 of 5 in game 2. If you literally do 4 out of 5 for that in game 3, you win. I think most importantly is pace, points in the paint, rebounding, and free throws. The turnover things happen. That's fine. As long as it's not like that Pacers game where they had like 20-something. As long as it's not that, that's fine. So let's just break down this game. The Celtics started off, I thought, pretty well. I mean, Eric Bledsoe had two terrible turnovers. I mean, that first turnover he had, Jalen, uh, not Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum had a great wide-open layup, and he actually did it the right way. He went full steam ahead, so I was happy to see that. Jalen Brown hit... What, four out of five three throws? One of them was a three-pointer, so that was great to see. And I thought the Celtics actually defended pretty well. The The Bucks only made two field goals in the first quarter inside the three-point line. And yes, I understand a lot of those other shots went in, and that's why they only won the first quarter by five points. But the fact that they can score 30 points in one quarter without Kyrie scoring a basket and Tatum only scoring one basket, I think is a positive thing. I think that means the offense was moving. Guys were taking their shots. Horford, I think, started off like 4-4, four, 5-5, four, five five, maybe even 4-5, something along that line, which is great. He was getting open looks. Kyrie was finding him. 
it was all good. The pick and pop really wasn't working as much. Bledsoe, I thought, did a really good job in this game fighting through screens and then realizing what the Celtics were trying to do. So if he did try and fight through a screen, he didn't get there in time, he recovered enough to get to Horford or to whoever he was guarding. I thought he did a reasonable job with that, seriously. And I was also really happy with the way Terry Rozier played. Because, especially in the first half, I thought once Bledsoe got a couple buckets, he started getting a little cocky and started playing really physical, picking up Terry Rozier full court. And I thought Terry was going to lose his head a little bit, and I'm really glad that Terry kept his cool. And I was very, very content and happy to see that. And the only other good thing that I can really talk about is Jalen Brown made some good decisions. Again, there were a couple times where Jalen Brown, I saw him put his head down. I was like, oh, God, here we go. He's going to go up, and he's not going to get the foul call, and he's going to complain about it. And speaking about complaining real quick, Jason Tatum just needs to stop. Jason Tatum ain't getting calls in his second year. Jason Tatum probably won't get calls in his third year. Jason Tatum's very good. He's a future all-star, but he ain't getting calls now, okay? He's not Giannis. He's not James Harden. He's not any of these guys that are getting a bunch of calls, and he needs to stop complaining. Just because you miss a shot doesn't mean that, how can I say this the right way, um, someone followed you. <laughs> is that blunt enough? Just because you met, like, I have no sympathy for J- Jason Tatum in these type of situations because early in the game, Jason Tatum would post up on Eric Bledsoe and he would fade away. Why are you fading away from someone who's five or six inches shorter than you? Like, shoot over him. That's what Chris Middleton does, and that's why Chris Middleton's so good. Chris Middleton, you know, if Jason Tatum's flying towards him, sure, he may fade back a bit, but if Terry Rozier, Marcus Smart, I know Marcus Smart's not playing, I'm just saying, like, for example, any of those smaller guys on him, he just goes straight up and shoots it. That's why he's such a great shooter. So it's just really, really frustrating to see Jason Tatum make a bad shot and then complain about it. It really makes no sense, and that's one of the many bad things that the Celtics did in the first half. But back to Jalen Brown real quick. Jalen Brown, instead of putting his head down and attacking the basket and being a moron like he was in the regular season, made a couple nice passes, made a couple right decisions, and I was I was happy to see that. In the second half, I mean, I'm sorry, in the first half, the Celtics did do some bad things like Tatum shooting fadeaways over a guy who's five or six inches shorter than him, but they let the Bucks go on a couple runs. They, went, they let the Bucks go on a 7-0 run in 54 seconds. Remember in game... One, I think it was, what, a 15-0 run in less than three minutes? Literally, they did half of that in almost like 60% less of the time. These these runs just kill the Celtics. They have all year. And I'm not, bad, I'm not mad at Brad for not calling a timeout. I'm perfectly, I literally feel like I'm getting a cold as I'm doing this. Like, I feel like I'm stressing myself out so much during these playoffs. I'm literally getting a cold. Like, I literally just felt like I got punched in the face, and all I'm doing is talking about the Celtics. My God. Sorry about that, folks. Anyways, so then right after they go on that 7-0 run, you know, the Celtics kind of come back and even things up. And then Horford goes to the bench and the Bucks go on a 10-0 run. Just like that. Boom. Another run. So if you combine those together, that's literally a 17-0 run. And then luckily, the Celtics came back and went on an 8-0 run, which was nice to see. It, it was. They, they took a little punch in the mouth and they punched back where this was the type of game that you think that the Celtics would take a, you know, get a punch, and just fall over and be like, cool, we'll see you in Boston. And they didn't until the third quarter, but we'll get into that in a second. But then when you think about it, towards the end of the third quarter, um, I'm sorry, the second quarter, the Bucks won on a 13-4 run. 
That's a nine-point difference. And guess how many points the Celtics got outscored by? It was 34 to 25 in the second quarter. Nine points. You've got to be kidding me. You absolutely have to be kidding me. And it's all because of Chris Middleton. Chris Middleton really takes some tough shots, but they're smart shots at the same time too because those are the shots that he's confident with and good at. Chris Middleton is really good at either A, getting a rebound, bringing the ball up to court, or B, getting an outlet pass, bringing the ball up the court, and dribbling and dribbling, and you're like, he's not going to shoot it, and then he jacks it up and he shoots it. And none of the Celtics players are ready for that. The Celtics players have to put a hand in his freaking face. He is like, I, he is such a better shooter than Bogdanovich. It's, you know, from the Pacers. It's not even close. And all I was doing in that series complaining about, don't, you know, just put a hand up. Just put a hand up in his face. And Chris Middleton's probably going to make those shots, even if you do put a hand in his face, but may, just make it tough for him. You know, there were so many times where I was like, dribble, oh my God, he's going to shoot it. And it would go in. And so it's like, if I can figure it out at home, why can't you figure it out like Terry Rozier or Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum? It just absolutely blows my mind. And sure, the Bucks did a really good job of finding the open shooter, unlike what they did in game one. You know, someone would drive and they would kick it out. And that was really good. That's what they were supposed to do. That's Bucks basketball. They said, hey, you want to create that wall? Fine, we're going to get it out to that open shooter quicker than when you can recover if you're creating that wall attacking Giannis. It makes a ton of sense, and the Bucks did it successfully tonight, and that's cool. Now, what's before we get into the second half, because to be honest with you, the Celtics were only down four, and it, you felt like the Celtics were getting blown out in this game. And they kind of weren't in the first half. Like, you were really content with everything that was going on. So before we get in the breakdown of the second half, let's do the stud and dud of the game playoff edition. And now, it is time for your Celtics stud and dud playoff edition. Okay, the stud and dud of the game. The stud, stand by your man, Marcus Morris. Marcus Morris has had two great games in this series. And to be honest with you, Marcus Morris has had some, has been, you know, Horford, Kyrie. If you take away Horford and Kyrie, Marcus Morris has been your most consistent Celtics player in this entire playoffs. He was only a team low, minus nine, which is absolutely absurd that I'm like, hey, congratulations, you're only a minus nine. But when you actually think about it, you know, at least he wasn't, you know, Gordon Hayward, who was a minus 30, or Aaron Baines, who was a minus 19, or Jalen Brown, who was a minus 29. Jalen Brown was a minus 29, but he actually played well, 16 points, you know, like, I don't get it. But Marcus Morris did a lot of things tonight. Six of eight from the field, he shot the ball very well, 17 points, had a steal, especially, he had a, it was a, I thought it was a very important steal of the game. I think the Bucks were only up like four or five before they went on that big run and he stole like an out, um, an, a lob pass into the post for Giannis and then the Celtics took it up the court and turned the ball over, but that's here and there. But I thought his defense was really good because here's the thing, like Horford has to guard Giannis or Brooke Lopez, but Marcus Morris guard, guarded Miritich, Middleton, Lopez, Ilyasova, Giannis. He covered everyone and their mother tonight, and I thought he did a reasonable job with it. He hit three out of his four three-pointers. He was, I thought he was really, really good, and 
during that run, well, before the Celtics gave up that huge run in the third quarter that we'll talk about in a second, he kind of kept the Celtics alive. Like that run when he brought him, like they were down 12, he brought him back at, down to three. That was mainly because of Marcus Morris, his defense, his offense on both ends of the floor. He looked great, and he has looked great in both games of these series. So shout out to Marcus Morris, stand by your man, being the stud of the game for game two of round two of the Eastern Conference playoffs. And the dud, folks, Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving, don't pass go, don't collect $200. Kyrie should be pissed. Kyrie should put all the blame about this game on him. He can't have a game like that. He can't play 31 minutes and go 4 of 18. He can't miss 14 shots. That's, re- that's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. If you look at Brown, Morris, and Horford, all those dudes combined didn't even miss 14 shots. That's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. That can't happen. Three turnovers, only four assists. Gross. He had a fourth of the, like, a fourth, I'm sorry, a quarter of the team's turnovers as the leader. This is on Kyrie. He literally got outplayed by Eric Bledsoe. Eric Bledsoe was being physical with him. He kind of didn't like it. George Hill did a great job defensively on him as well. And I thought George Hill did not do a good job defensively on him and game one and this one this one hurt a little bit if if you're a Kyrie stand like I am this one hurt a little bit because Kyrie was forcing shots he didn't even change his sneakers like usually when Kyrie sucks he changes his sneakers or maybe he's so weird because Kyrie's so out there that like when he does well he changes his sneakers I don't know but he usually changes his sneakers when he sucks and he didn't do that Kyrie was piss poor terrible and Kyrie is going to get ripped by the Boston media today no questions asked. I'm pissed at Kyrie. And Kyrie should come out of game three and score at least 30 points and have at least eight assists. Minimum. This is your team, dude. You wanted to be here. You wanted to be the leader. This is on you. That was an embarrassing performance by Kyrie Irving. And I really hope he knows that too. This wasn't on anyone else. Like, if you look at the starters, sure. Jason Tatum went 2 of 10. That's fine. Marcus Morris did his thing, 6 of 8. Al Horford, 6 of 10. Jalen Brown, 5 of 12. Like, that's fine. Like, Horford and Morris combined went 6 of 9 from 3. The team overall went 10 of 28 from 3. So those two dudes right there hit 60% of the Celtics' three-pointers, and Kyrie only hit one. It's a joke. An absolute joke. So yeah, Kyrie's the dud. Duh. I mean, who else would it have been? I mean, you could probably maybe say Gordon Hayward, but he 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 just doesn't get enough opportunity to do that. Like, he only got five shots, and he really wasn't a main focal point of the offense. So you could bash him a bit, but no, we're good. So the second half, or should I just say the third quarter, because the fourth quarter... Mm, I was just so angry, I think I blacked out and didn't remember much of the fourth quarter. But let's just talk about this right away. Celtics cut down the lead 74-71. to And then, literally after that, all hell broke loose. After one of the most idiotic, dumbest defensive decisions I have 
ever seen in my entire life. Okay. I know you're in the, it's in the moment. It's on the road. You're thinking too much. There was a time where Eric Bledsoe was wide open for three. He didn't know what to do. He had that Eric Bledsoe moment where he's like, uh, 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 I'm in my head. I'm in my head. And Jalen Brown left Chris Middleton, Chris Middleton, the dude who hit seven three-pointers tonight, seven of 10 from threes. He dropped 28 points. He left Chris Middleton alone. Eric Bledsoe saw Jalen Brown coming. Eric Bledsoe just passed the ball to the right. Chris Middleton splash. Bucks now up six. And then after that, the Bucks went on a 28-2 run. And the Celtics scored one time in 11 possessions. And this is what happened. Miss, miss, miss. Turnover, turnover, turnover. Miss, turnover, miss, miss. And then Aaron Baines got a putback layup. During that time, the Celtics settled offensively. There was no offensive being run in, in any way, shape, or form. Guys were just, like, there was one time Gordon Hayward came off a screen and just jacked up a three. Absolutely ridiculous. And what was one of the great things that I complimented the Celtics on in game one? Taking good shots because they were the right shots and not forced shots. And that's what the Celtics did in this. It was absolutely unbelievable. I've literally never seen anything like it. Giannis hit his two three-pointers that I guess he's going to be hitting every game. He hit three in game one, two in this one. So he's just going to be doing that now. But like a 28-2 run. A 28-2 run. Where like That's like the fifth graders playing the third graders. That was a joke. An absolute joke. The Celtics got outscored 39-18 in the third quarter. They lost the game by 21. They lost the third quarter by 21. They were up five after after one, down four after two, and they won the fourth quarter by four. And yes, it's garbage time, but whatever. I'm trying to be positive here, okay? But 21-point difference in a quarter. In a quarter, they let the Bucks score. More than 30 points in two different quarters, back-to-back, second and third. Their biggest issues all season. <sighs> that 28-2 run killed me. It really did. Like, nothing was falling for the Celtics. Sure, maybe some good shots were taken. I thought every single one was bad because they just missed it, and it was just frustrating. But man, oh man, that that can't happen. The Bucks are too good. This isn't the Pacers. <laughs> you know, this isn't the Pacers. This isn't the Knicks. This isn't some shitty team. It's the Bucs. They're really good. They have great shooters. They hit 23-pointers tonight. That's ridiculous. And then the Celtics were down, what, 25? Yeah, 25 going going into the fourth quarter. And Brad kept, kept some of the main guys out there to see, hey, let's see if maybe we can cut this down to 15, you know, with like eight, nine minutes left. It didn't happen. And then he, Kyrie came back in. What the hell are you doing, Brad? Why would Kyrie come back in? Did you see what happened to Marcus Smart when you probably shouldn't have played him? He has a torn oblique. Like, put Kyrie away. Put him, send him back to the locker room. Bring bring in Brad Wanamaker and Tice and Time Lord and Yabo and Shemi and just run with it. And any of those guys get hurt, hopefully minus not Shemi, and we'll talk about that in a second, but just... 
bring him out. Like, bring in RJ Hunter. Don't bring Kyrie back in. Like, you you got to be kidding me. Why would you do that and risk injury? Can you imagine if Kyrie got hurt when the Celtics were down 22 during garbage time in the fourth quarter? The, the, people would have rioted. <sighs> Boy. Um, there's no way I'm going to bed tonight. Nope. None. I'm too juiced. But the one positive about the fourth quarter, folks, was Yabaselli. Yeah, he only played five minutes and he scored six points. He was delicious. He was delightful. Never trust a big butt and a smile unless it's Yabos. Man, he, he played great. I mean, he was a plus eight. Shit, you should have just played him all game, Brad. Man, absolutely ridiculous. All right. Friday night, 8 p.m., TD Garden, game three. The TD Garden has to be rocking. If you guys have attended any Celtics games over the last 15 years, yeah, maybe 10. I'm trying to think of how long KG was around. 10 years. There's this video that they have where KG, everything's silent, and he's just like, keep this mother rocking. That's what TD Garden has to be. TD Garden on Friday night has to be the loudest it's been all season. TD Garden has to show Kyrie and Hayward and Horford and everyone else in that goddamn bench why they play in Boston and why the Celtics are arguably some of the best fans in the NBA. We got to go wild. Get lubed up early. Get loud. Get rowdy. Boo Bledsoe. Boo Brooke Lopez, have some respect for Giannis and Chris Middleton, but boo everyone. Get ready. If I if I have a voice on Saturday to do this podcast, I'm going to be pissed at myself, 1,000%. But anyways, what can the Celtics do to go up 2-1 Friday night at 8 o'clock on ESPN at TD Garden? I think there's 10 things that they have to do. Yeah, they have, they're have. they going to have to do that many things, and we're going to go through each and every single one of them. So get a glass of milk and an Oreo and get comfy because that's what I'm going to have after this because I'm juiced. Number one, they have to defend the three-point line. Like, the Bucks made a franchise playoff record, 23-pointers, and they did a great job finding the open shooter. Extra ball movement, driving the basket, kicking it out. A lot of wide-open threes for them, just like the Celtics had a lot of wide-open shots in Game 1. So Brad is going to have to find a way to defend the three-point line better, but also defend Giannis, which brings me to number two. Keep defending Giannis the way that you're defending him, but just be more alert that there's four other players on the court. He took 18 free throws. He only took 16 shots, and he only made five of those. I'm sorry. 14 shots within the three-point line. He only made five of those. So keep doing what you're doing with them, okay? Let him go to the free-throw line. It will be loud in there. He might miss some free-throws, which will make it more loud in there. Keep being physical with them. But if you're weak side help or if you didn't come over and you're on the strong side, have your hands out. He's going to pass it. Just literally, excuse me, excuse me again. Everyone should have their hands up. At all times. All times. Whether it's Middleton, Giannis, just have your hands up. That's what they got to do. Number three. They have to find a way to defend Middleton. Middleton has killed the Celtics in the playoffs last year and this year. 
you're not going to stop him, just like you're not going to stop Giannis at the Greek Freak. You just got to try to control him just a little bit. Put a hand in his face, okay? Right now, the most important person in this series has been Chris Middleton, not Giannis. The more focus has been on Giannis, but Chris Middleton is the best player in the series for the Bucks, And he might be in game three, four, five, six, seven, however long this series goes. Because at this point, who knows how long it's going to go. Why am I getting a cold? <sighs> Anyways. So yeah, Chris Middleton, number three. You got to find a way to defend him better. I mean, you know, if you're going to put 95, like so far, I feel like they've put 100% of tension on Giannis. Now you only got to put 5%. I mean, I'm sorry, 95% and give 5% to Chris Middleton. You got to give Chris Middleton more attention on your defensive scheme. You have to do it. Number four, Kyrie Irving needs to fucking ball out. Like, what up, young blood? You know, just like it's Uncle Drew, okay? He has to outplay Bledsoe because Bledsoe not only outplayed Kyrie, but he also play, outplayed Scary Terry tonight. And Eric Bledsoe should never outplay Kyrie Irving, and he should probably outplay Terry Rozier. I think Bledsoe's a little bit better than Terry Rozier. I think Bledsoe's a loser. He can't win for the life of him, but if you were to, at the end of each of career, who are you going to say is better, Bledsoe or Terry Rozier? You're going to say Eric Bledsoe. But this is what's crazy. I mentioned in the series preview episode that I thought Lopez and Bledsoe could be killers for the Celtics. Like, you just got to pay attention to them. In game one, guess what? They only scored nine points total. Game two, the two of them scored 31 points. Bledsoe had 21. Lopez has 10. That's a difference of 22 points. Celtics won by 22 points in game one. Celtics lost by 21 in game two. So those two dudes right there scoring that many points, if that can get cut in half, that helps the Celtics tremendously. You cut you cut down half of their points, and now they're only 15 points. You only lose by eight, and it's a much closer game, and it's a much different game. So Kyrie has to outplay Bledsoe. Number five, Gordon Hayward needs to give us a big night like he gave us a big night in game four against the Pacers. In his last game, his last eight games before this one, Gordon Hayward, 16 points, 6 boards, 3 assists. In game 2 of this series last night, 5, or I'm sorry, tonight, I'm all over the place. In game 2 of this series, Hayward scored 5.0 boards, 3 assists. 1 of 5 shooting, minus 30. Not really ideal. We need a big night from Gordon Hayward, okay? Number 6. Can the real Jason Tatum please stand up? Like, where is he? 4 out of 17 in this series. Nine points. He's taking bad shots. He's not attacking the basket. The Bucks are defending him very well. You look at any time that Tatum has the ball, he is being defended well unless there's a mismatch with like Bledsoe or George Hill on him, and then he's taking bad shots, and that's on him. He got, I would say around mid-March, Jason Tatum really got into a bad shooting slump, and then he fixed his shot, and he even said that like he brought his elbow in a little bit closer to his body, and that's great, and he shot the ball very well the last couple games of the season. I thought he played extremely well in the Pacers series. So, number six, Jason Tatum. Number seven, let's just see a little bit more Shemi versus Baines. Like, Giannis knows what to do against Baines. Be faster than him. It's not rocket science. So just maybe if you're going to throw 
Baines in for 10 minutes against Giannis. Maybe do seven and give Shemi three and just be super physical with him. Bring in the muscle factory. See how it works. And if it doesn't work, then, you know, bring in Baines. Just throw something different at him. Number eight, keep attacking the basket. Get to the free throw line. And it's fascinating to me that the Celtics shoot 27 free throws tonight and lose by 21, but they took eight and then won by 22. It makes absolutely no sense. So go to the free throw line. Even if you cut it in half what you did tonight, but it's more than game one, like you only go 15 or 16 times, fine. Just go more. Just reach double digits for the love of God. And then number nine, rebound, 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 rebound. Please just rebound the ball. Just like I said earlier, keep it within two or three or win it overall. Okay, great, thanks. And then number 10, and I think this is very important. So let me repeat one through nine before I get into a quick little rant here, okay? Number one, defend the three-point line. Number two, keep defending Giannis, but maybe don't give him 110% of your attention. Number three, Chris Middleton. You got to give him a little bit more attention. Take some of that attention away from Giannis and give it to Chris Middleton. Number four, Kyrie has to outplay Bledsoe. Number five, we need a game four of the Pacers series type night from Gordon Hayward. Jason Tatum needs to come back to life. More Shemi instead of Baines. Keep attacking the basket and get to the free throw line. Number nine, rebound. And then number 10 is adversity. I know, what I sound like a cheesy high school coach, right? But every single time something good happens to this Boston Celtics team and then they lose, everyone has explosive diarrhea, and I'm sick of it, and it smells like shit. They need to say to themselves, yes, we're 5-1 and one in the playoffs. Who cares if we just lost? Let's get over it. It's a new day tomorrow, and let's play some basketball. Because every single time this year, the Celtics would win six in a row and then lose two in a row after that or something like that, they would all bitch and moan and piss themselves. But that cannot happen. So Al Horford, probably, which we could all argue, is the true leader of this team. Marcus Morris, who's a veteran. Brad Stevens, the coach. Even if uh, Gordon Hayward, also a veteran. Adversity. Who cares if you just got blown out? Let the fans care about that. You guys get over it and focus on Game 3 and pretend Game 2 never happened. Stay focused. Get with it. All right? That's it. I'm done. I'm fired up. I'll see everyone in Section 315, Row 15, at TD Garden. All right? We'll talk to you guys soon. Oh, man. Thanks for listening. Toodles and noodles. X's and O's. Bye-bye. Sorry, but I'm gone. I'm history. And I dedicated my life Boston Celtics. I dedicated my life to the fans of Boston. I did my very best to please each and every one of you. Good night.